0: For more information on the Ex-Mormon Files internet video program, please visit ExMormonFiles.com. That's ExMormonFiles.com. And now, here's Earl.
1: Hello and welcome to the Ex-Mormon Files. Appreciate you spending a little bit of time with us and we have a very interesting guest tonight who's come all the way from Tucson, Arizona. Billy Qualtro, we appreciate you coming up and sharing your story. Thank you, I'm happy to be here. (laughs) I'm excited to have people here hear your story and tell us a little bit about your background. You, your family goes all the way back to Nauvoo, is that right? They do. <laughs> uh, my family on my mother's side was was
2: very tightly aligned with the Mormon Church from the very beginning. Wow! Part of their family, part of our family was there in Nauvoo. Uh, part of their family was converted in South Africa and traveled in a ship to the eastern United States and came across the plains wow. with the handcarts with the, one of the later migrations of the Saints and uh, my ancestors also were asked to settle St. George and then eventually were told to come down and settle northeastern Arizona so there's a large pocket of Mormon pioneer heritage in northeastern Arizona mm-hmm. in the Eager-Taylor area and my and family was from family there. Did so Brigham yeah.
1: Young send them down there, I guess? Yes, he did. So, yeah. Did did your family write journals or keep records of the experiences? They did, experiences? and they,
2: they told some very amazing stories of crossing um, escarpments and going down uh, canyons with wagons and yeah. just things that were very uh, dangerous to do. It's kind of amazing how dedicated these people were to... Um, s- obeying what they yeah, were asked to do the by the The sacrifices
1: they made. Yeah. They did. So you were raised in the church then there in northern Arizona? or you know? I was
2: raised in the church, and uh, I was born under the covenant.
1: Yeah.
2: My dad had been a Methodist, and he met my mom when he was a forest ranger in northeastern Arizona, and they... Got married, and uh, he and my mom got sealed in the temple, and I was Eventually born.
1: Eventually, he was converted to the church, I guess. And yes. And uh, they got married, where, in the Mesa temple? In the Mesa sealed. temple. Sealed in the Mesa sealed temple. Sealed in huh? the Mesa temple. So you were just a good, active little Mormon girl, went to seminary and all that stuff, did you? <laughs> I did. Um, we, My family,
2: both parents, were active, held callings. We went to all of our meetings. We had family home evening. We had a piano. We sang all of the hymns. Uh, in the house constantly. Hmm.
1: Um, it's just your life.
2: It was just our life. Yeah. And I was a very, very serious young girl. So, to me, I was always listening, always thinking. Um, I knew that that what we were being taught was very serious because it was clear to me that our salvation depended on our obedience and our right yeah. thinking. So. Even as a young child, I would have been, I would sometimes <laughs> laugh in sacrament meeting, but
1: most of the time I was really very serious. Did you notice the other kids being that same way, or were they pretty frivolous with their time and I think there airports? was a mixture. Yeah, <laughs> There was
2: definitely a mixture. Um, I had one Sunday school teacher who did me a great favor, though. Uh, she taught the stories of Jesus, and I remember... Um, being very caught by the pictures and the story mm. of Jesus. And I remember the, the story that stuck with me the most that I, that I really loved was the story about when he was out on the Sea of Galilee. And the picture that I had, I can still remember of it. Jesus oh. was out like this. <laughs> And he was calming. calming the storm, Yes. Yeah. And to me, that was the great, powerful, mighty Jesus. And that's the one who kind of stuck in my heart.
1: Wow. That's interesting. And as you, well, and we'll get into this in a bit, as you make your transition, that has even more impact on you, uh, who this Jesus really is, isn't it? Yeah. You, know, you end up uh, uh, coming out of high school then. Did you, what did you do after high school? After high
2: school, I went to Brigham Young University. Oh. And uh, one of the, the the stories that was real uh, important in my life, one of the, the cracks in Mormonism for me started before I ever hit high school. It started when I was a preteen. And I remember those were in the days of when David O. McKay was the prophet, and the the scripture that I remember most from that time is the glory of God is, is intelligence yeah. and light and truth.
1: And that's on the entrance to BYU, isn't it? It <laughs> is indeed. Yeah.
2: It is. The fact yeah. that I went to BYU is not a coincidence because of that. Yeah. And my mother used to explain it like this, and it's it's kind of a circular reasoning thing, but she would say, you don't have to worry about what is or isn't truth because everything that is True is Mormonism, and everything that is Mormonism is true. So, <laughs> so if you just kind of stay within that circle, yeah. um, everything is okay. <laughs> and uh, my dad was a scientist. We um, talked about paleontology and all kinds of different things. The search for truth in our family was. A big deal, but in this one arena, there was only one circular path to that truth.
1: In religion, then. Yes. Well, I know there's some criticism actually going on uh, about people being critical critical thinking, you know, in the church and and how whether people really do that or not. And, And I, I guess in my opinion, they don't actually think critically about religion. They like you say they. All the other sciences, this they probably do. Very intelligent people, but in the area of religion. But you notice, did you have any questions or problems then through in your BYU time? And
2: before the BYU time, I had hit upon some significant things that were uh, troubling to me, and I went to BYU with the hope to be able to find some of those answers. answers. I had had the opportunity to go to a bunch of different universities, and I chose to go to BYU because I figured if there was a place where I could... where the glory of God was intelligence, <laughs> the where I could and the go, faith and everything yeah, else. If yeah, if there was a place where I could find the answer to the things that were troubling me, that's where I could go. Yeah. And uh, some of the things that were troubling me is in the in Northeastern Arizona, it was kind of a little bit caught in the time warp when I was growing up. And so I would hear things like, and I know that, that in the 60s and the 70s that the church wasn't saying these things were still true anymore, but they were coming out from people in the congregation where I was, and it was being said that they were true. Things like um, men being on the moon. Some of
1: Brigham Young's quotes Yeah, and stuff, some of yeah. those quotes.
2: Some of the things that, that, that were being stated as true that bothered me a lot, that was the 60s and the 70s, and the idea that there was a whole race of people who were to be excluded from the privileges of priesthood and all of that stuff was very troubling
1: to yeah, me. The the racial issue, yeah.
2: And then I would have... Um, a Sunday school teacher or somebody say the earth was created in six physical human days <laughs> and and I my dad was a scientist my house was filled with books that showed fossils in layers and yeah. geological strata in layers and so in a in a very honest and not meaning to be obnoxious way i would say how do you explain this and the first answer is well, the earth is made up of pieces from another place, and all of these things came from somewhere else, and they got glued together in this earth. And I, I got a little bit um, obnoxious, yeah. and I said, "Wasn't it nice that Heavenly Father put all of these things in nice layers for us?" And and the Make person looked, yeah, looked at me, and then said, "What what became the truth that stuck in my mind about Mormonism?" He said. Those things were put there to test your faith. Oh, and if you don't understand it, you need to go fix yourself. Wow. And so the message began to become to come into me that if you are told by the church that something is true and it doesn't sit right with you, you need to go fix yourself. yeah. And so I would try to fix myself and try to fix myself. <laughs> that kind
1: of closes off the discussion too, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, <laughs> it does. It? Yeah. it does. Well, you end up marrying a return missionary. I Is did marry right? a
2: return missionary. Yeah. And uh, we began the process. We got married in the temple.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, I had another significant crisis of faith when we went through the temple. Mm. Um, I was left with a very... Creepy feeling,
1: you know. A lot of people have said that, and you went through back when the
2: nineteen
1: seventy two masonry kinds of things and the ways of taking your life and all that was still going on. So, yes, yeah, that is very strange. And some people, especially as I think, people that are more spiritually sensitive probably are kind of repelled or at least question what they went through. Did you feel like, well, I'll just understand it eventually? Or how did you deal with that? That's that's what I was told. But yeah. but what,
2: what was the truth to me is that if you are in the most sacred place in the world, doing the most sacred work in the world, yeah. and if these things are sacred, shouldn't you feel this overwhelming sense of joy, joy. and happiness yeah. and peace because you are doing this wonderful thing? I didn't feel that if if there had been a way for me to sneak out the back door, <laughs> I would have done it. Wow. Because I just felt awful. Mm. And so I never did go back.
1: And then of course the guilt there that you're the one at fault, you're the one that's not go trying hard yourself. enough. Go fix yourself. Go fix yourself. Yeah. Well, so what happens next? You <laughs> end up with a degree in computer engineering. Uh, computer engineering degree or something like that, right? What is it? <laughs> I did. And uh,
2: before that, I'd, no. I'd like to talk just a little sure. bit about what the the path was. Um, the return missionary that I married was very charismatic. He, he was very powerful in the church. He had a lot of high callings. Mm. And uh, I found myself in the constant position of feeling like the fact that I didn't feel good about what was happening was my fault, oh. and so I began this wild, chaotic process of, I, my husband, my my good husband, who is the husband who we'll talk about in a minute, <laughs> um, calls it squirming on the vine instead of the branch resting on the vine and taking sustenance from the vine. It's called squirming <laughs> on the <laughs> vine. <laughs> so I had I many callings. <laughs> um, I had. In, in one case, I had many callings in a small branch in Oregon.
1: Well, you' were a piano player too, and I know that adds a lot of a piano player assignments to the. Uh,
2: primary president. Oh boy. Uh, I had some responsibilities supporting young women's and supporting relief society sure, and sure. doing other things. And I felt such a discontinuity, such a cognitive dissonance, a feeling of unhappiness and unsettledness inside myself that I would sneak out in between some of the meetings and go sit in the back of a Catholic church. Oh, really? Because in the back of the Catholic church I couldn't feel the Mormon vibrations. And <laughs> and then I would go back and try again, and I tried and tried for many years. Wow. And uh, I did go back to school. I got a, an engineering degree, and uh, I knew that there were tremendous Uh, problems in our family, not problems that were caused by the church at all, they were caused by a a marital mismatch and some other pretty serious problems. But I knew I was going to have to take the kids and go earn my way in the real world, so I went and got a degree. And then our family had a, I call it the Big Bang, since (laughs) we were scientists and the family just, there was a critical emergency that took place. The kids' safety was involved and um, the marriage blew up. And at the moment that it blew up was my opportunity then to pull out of the church and try and figure out what I would do. But by that time I had committed 40 years Hmm. and tried everything that I knew how to do. I had read the standard works backwards and forwards, upside down, been faithful in seminary, all of my callings. I held the Temple Recommend. I didn't go to the temple, but I held the Temple yeah, Recommend. I yeah. did everything that I could think of to do. And I felt uh, empty and cold and dissatisfied oh and, goodness. and um,
1: hopeless very yeah. much. And, and always from a position of you're not doing enough, I guess, and you're, you're not accomplishing what you're supposed to be accomplishing. Is that part of it? I think that
2: I felt like I couldn't have done more yeah. but nothing that I could do could change the fact that I couldn't stand up in testimony and say I know that this is true
1: yeah
2: and and I had said that as a child I had said that as a very young adult um, I did say it a few times as an adult mm-hmm. but I I I didn't feel like everyone else did, and so I felt like it was, mm. w- something was wrong with me. Wow. And uh, I went off to go and try and figure out what that was, <laughs> and I initially did what so many Latter-day Saints do when they leave. The structure's gone, the connection to the Bible is very weak, the knowledge of Jesus is pretty superficial,
1: and you notice that, that too yes yeah, yeah.
2: and we have no connection with any other Christian reality yeah so it's
1: just either Mormonism or not or nothing yeah, yeah.
2: It, it seems like that's kind of the way it goes so I stepped out into the world and I I, I tried new age I kind of went off the deep end and <laughs> and uh,
1: which, as you say, is kind of typical, yeah.
2: It is typical. Yeah. You're you're angry, you're frustrated, you're disappointed, you're disillusioned, and you don't have anything to hang on to. Yeah. But I did have a picture in my mind of the powerful Jesus. Yeah, And so in the back of my mind, I, I knew that I needed to remake that connection, but I had no idea how to do it.
1: Mm. Well, one thing, before we get too far, and I'm not sure where this fits into your story, but... You had someone share with you an, a concept of,
2: oh, of yes. a circle.
1: And I, I don't want to, we're actually, believe it or not, at times just zooming by. And I wanted to make sure you included that in your in your story today.
2: Okay. I had a seminary teacher who once uh, described what I came to understand as the phenomenon that, that that blocks Mormons from reaching out and and looking and inspecting any of the truths they have. He called it the inward facing circle. And he said this as if it was a good thing. (laughs) He said that, that Mormons all gather together in this circle and they hold hands. And in the middle of the circle are the truths of the restored gospel. And they feast on those truths and they talk about it to each other and they share the joy of all of this inside the circle. And if someone approaches the circle, you turn for just a minute, you grab the hand of another person, and you pull them into the inward-facing circle. Mm. And in, it struck me as very odd, because if you believe that all Mormonism is truth, and all truth is Mormonism, and mm. the glory of God is intelligence, then why would you think that the t- truth could not be inspected and stand up? to something. On
1: its own, yeah.
2: But if you are afraid to look outside of this information, then you are afraid that something out there might challenge something in there. Yeah. And so that's kind of a, was kind of a telling thing to me. And I think it also explains a little bit why people feel so warm and um, filled with this emotional feeling that we sometimes call testimony. And it's it's kind of like we're in an echo chamber, so we're all reinforcing of the good each other we're always, reinforcing yeah. each other in this environment, and there is love, and there is meaning to be good, and there is mm. sincerity, and all of those things. And so you feel that good thing in this context, and you don't realize that that it's not an expression of anything that is tested truth. It's an expression of of a group's cultural <laughs> connections to each other and intent.
1: Yeah, interesting. Well, I, again, uh, just fascinating, but uh, tell us a little bit then about uh, life after, what what kind of transition okay. you a little bit? And
2: The path back to me is just an, an amazing thing because God is a gentleman, <laughs> uh, and I'm hard of hearing. <laughs> so um, he leads us, he doesn't frighten us into his arms, he leads us gently. And he went through a process with me. The first thing he did was help me reconnect after uh, a very sad divorce and a very sad family breakup to a very good man who was a Christian, a very solid lover of Jesus Christ. And so even though I was out wandering around in the bushes <laughs> at that time, he, he said that he knew I would come back. Oh. And so he put his arms around me and he built me back up and got me to be able to trust my intuitions about these things. And it kind of started us on this path. Did
1: he introduce you to a Jesus that you'd never met before? I know you started a Bible study. Uh, How important was that? The Bible study was really
2: important. I went through... um, Everywhere I went, I had a little foray inside the Methodist Church and I felt like the Mormon in the Methodist Church, and then I went to the Presbyterian Church and I would say, you guys are good people, and they'd say, no, we are good people, you're one of us. I was a Mormon in the Presbyterian Church. And then I showed up one day into a Pentecostal circle, and and God bless if they didn't turn my little world upside down. Um, I was in a group of people who, who believed that God was present in their everyday life in every real way you could imagine and they would say amazing things like I'm heading over the mountain and God is going with me before my car and we will be safe and I'm thinking just a
1: trust in God. yeah I'm thinking you guys
2: are really cute but this is (laughs) this is quite strange to me and we would be discussing the scriptures and reading the scriptures and a woman would raise her hand and say Um, I feel like we should stop and praise the Lord. (laughs) And I would say, I don't know how to praise the Lord. We'll teach you how to praise the Lord. So after some really wonderful experiences with these women, who were women of giant faith, in my opinion, they said to me, we would like to make a challenge to you. We would like you to take off your Mormon glasses and go read the New Testament as if you were a little child. (laughs) And let God do the highlighting in your New Testament while you go, instead of me taking out the little marker. Let Him do the highlighting in your New Testament and come back let and tell us what Let Him bring out think. those
1: scriptures that are important. And read as a child. That's yeah. A, that's awesome. Did you do that? I
2: did that. I did that, and I did it faithfully, and I found myself doing it for hours at a time because it was just kind of a magical experience to me. And I began to see that all of the words that Mormons and Christians use that are the same words have very different Different meanings, and that I had misunderstood the core of the New Testament. And the other thing that I learned is that as you read these things in context and you get to know the nature of the people who are doing these writings, the things that they had seen the things the that they had lived yeah, with, the yes. first witnesses, yeah. that Jesus had been with them for 40 days after his resurrection, yeah. that Paul had seen the resurrected Lord. All of these things, they were, they went to England, they went to across Russia, they went to India, they went to Ethiopia, they, they did things that were amazing, and they were not country bumpkins. Mm. They were mortal men like we were with all of the faults that we have, but sure. they were um, so empowered by the fact that they had seen a risen Lord, they knew nothing could oh, hurt them, not really.
1: Witnesses, yeah. And so
2: off they went. And as you see this, the, the book began to emerge to me with power. Hmm. And I had what felt to me like a, like a conversion experience, but I had one left thing to get through. And that was I had a very deep fear because inside Mormonism, if you, if you don't do your temple work, if you don't believe the doctrines of the Church, if you don't, aren't in compliance, if all of these things you risk never seeing God again, you risk maybe not seeing Jesus again, you won't be with your family, the Holy Spirit could withdraw from you. And so I was, was going to go forward in faith, but I was, I was frightened. And so I told our the Mormon bishop in the ward that I lived at that time that I wanted my name removed from the records of the church and he sent me back a letter where he threatened me with all of those things you will never see God Lose again the spirit you will never you may never see Jesus again you won't ever you see your family again you The Holy Spirit will withdraw from you and you'll be alone all the days of your life. You you have (laughs) dishonored your ancestors and all of these things. Billy,
1: you wanted to take just a couple of minutes and talk to your family, so you've got a couple of minutes. Okay, so the
2: time does fly back. It
1: does, doesn't it?
2: (laughs) Okay. Well, the first thing I want to say is that, that after the bishop had said that to me, I went out in the orchard and cried to the Lord and he told me that no one can tell me that I have to leave you alone, and I've been with you always. So I walked off with peace, and I would like to challenge anyone who is um, having issues with Mormonism, or thinking about it, or is a true proponent of the truth, to take the same challenge that I did. Read the New Testament with your presuppositions disabled. Listen to the voice of God. Understand who it was that wrote those things. And don't be afraid, don't let fear be the noise that stops you from having the courage to go through those exercises. And if you do, you will find a great peace and a great joy that doesn't compare to anything that you had before, and I am so thankful to God that He was willing to take me through that process.
1: And we hope your family will listen to this. and sharing your joy and peace. And there is such a freedom, isn't there now? You're the burden and the guilt's gone. And I would say exactly the same thing about the New Testament. I had read it several times as a Mormon, but when I read it with eyes opened and I saw scriptures there that I'd never seen before. Well, Billy, thank you so much for coming all this way to share your story and your delight. And uh, just I'm just so grateful that we've, had our eyes open right and, and the peace that we have in, in these years of our life left and, and to have the joy and, and what a, a blessing to have a husband who's such a support and an anchor yeah well yes. thank you Billy I appreciate it very much And thank appreciate you. you watching and uh, tune in to other episodes the, uh, we appreciate you watching and we'll see you later